0: Hey good morning church family, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles. Uh, Just to introduce myself in case you've just joined us on the live stream, my name's Scott, I'm the pastor of the church here at Harvest Glasgow. Um, So glad to have you with us. We'd love you to turn, if you would, to John chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 19 to 51 as part of our ongoing series in the Gospel of John called Take a Look. And really the encouragement is for us to uh, take a look at Jesus. That's really what we're aiming for. That's what we long to happen in your life that you would take this time over these next few weeks to consider who Jesus is and what he might mean to you and how he might change your life. And so we're, this morning we're going to be the title is testimonies, and we're going to be thinking about um, some eyewitness accounts of people who met and encountered Jesus, and who John draws into the story, and John draws into his gospel to to help us um, build a, a fuller picture of who Jesus is. Um, so, and part of this is part of this is uh, for those who don't know me, I, I studied history at university, and it's partly to do with the historical interest that I have in some of these things. So I, I'm not sure I would describe myself as a good history student. I was a, maybe an adequate history student. I certainly studied some history alongside playing a lot of football at university. But one of the things I did learn, and most every good historian and certainly an adequate, and even a, an adequate historian understands this, The one of the important things that people rely upon or, or use in terms of building historical picture and, and building reliable history, historical data and, into, and grasping historical fact is what are called primary source evidence. And that primary source evidence can be anything. It can be original documents, so letters and diaries and newspapers and books and that kind of thing that were written at the time or pieces of information or artefacts that were created at the time of study. Into that mix of primary source Material can also come in um, what's called oral, oral sources or oral history where people are telling stories from one generation to the next uh, in order for those stories, the truth of those stories and the, the, the facts to be passed on for posterity. So all of those things are important and what we find in this last part of John is people sharing some of their testimonies, offering eyewitness accounts of what they found to be true about Jesus. So I'm going to read some, uh, just the start of this section we're going to look at this morning, and then we'll pick our way through the rest of it later on. I'm going to read, then we're going to pray, and then we'll dig into God's Word together. So this is what God's Word has to say to us this morning. And this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed, he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let me pray and then we'll think about these things together. Father, we're so thankful to you for your word and for what it says to us and how it speaks to us. Father, we pray that the, the fruit of our time this morning would be to cause us to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that we would look at him, that we'd take a look at him and we would see him for who he is. And that would either produce worship within us, or at very least it would produce a curiosity to find out more within us. So Father, we pray you would help us in all of these things. We thank you that you, you, you welcome us, you welcome us to become children of the King. We thank you for the songs that we've been able to sing, which express something of our desire to know, more, know you more, to be known by you more, and to follow you more clearly. Father, we pray that all of those things would come together in our lives as a result of what we look at this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I mean, so four eyewitness statements okay, eyewitness statement number one is this from John the Baptist and it's what we saw right at, right, right at the end of what we just read in verse 29 behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that's the first eyewitness statement about Jesus, that's the first testimony that we, we have about Jesus and what we see here, and so we're starting with John the Baptist and, he, and we say starting, we've already been given something of an introduction to him in, in earlier parts in John chapter 1 In verses 6 to 8, John the Gospel writer says there was a man sent from God, his name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So John the Baptist, that was his job description. That was how John the Gospel writer described John the Baptist. Or chapter 1 verse 15 talks about how he, he, he came to bear witness to the light and cried out about Jesus. He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. So so John has provoked some interest in John the Gospel writer, but more than that, as we look back at this, we see that he's also provoked some interest from the religious leaders of the day. So some of those and some of those religious leaders who are described as priests and Levites, they hear about John the Baptist, they hear about his fame, they hear about the crowds that are gathering around about him, and they go to him with one question. The question is this, who are you? Now, presumably we're presuming that they knew his name because his fame had spread far enough for them to have to send a delegation to go and ask him the question, so they're not asking his name. Rather, the question is a recognition that there is something going on with him or there's something different about him. And, and, and John perceived straight away what they're asking. He said he said, Okay, let's get this cleared up right away, I am not the Christ. Okay, I'm not the Christ. Uh, he he it says here that he that he confessed and did not deny but confessed, okay? He, he, he confessed, he, he, he was very clear about this, the repetition. He was insistent and clear in repetition here. I'm not the Christ. I'm not claiming to be the Christ if that's what you're asking. Neither of those things are true of me. Okay, so okay, we've got that question out of the way. Are you Elijah then? Is that who you are? No, no I'm not Elijah. I'm not him either. Or what about the prophet? And then we're saying, well, what's what, what prophet? Because we look at the Old Testament and we see a lot. And, 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 and that's really a throwback to Deuteronomy 18.15 where Moses is found to say the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers, and as to him you shall listen. And so that, so they would have understood, when they're asking it, are you the prophet? That's who they would have been talking about, the person that Moses was talking about. And John the Baptist's response says, no. And so then so they come back to that, who are you? Who who are you? And, and we come to a, a, a few good men moment as... We've been sent for an answer. Help us out. What do you say about yourself? And John the Baptist said, you want the truth? We want the truth. You can't handle the truth. It's that kind of idea. And so John answers, John, using Isaiah 40, verse 3. And the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So, so John is telling them that he's the one whose job it is to make everyone ready for the Lord. To make everyone ready for the promised one, the Messiah, to come. In short, he is there to prepare hearts. He is there to prepare hearts to encounter Jesus. And even more, we see that John is dropping hints to the leaders that the one he is there to make the way straight for is the one that Isaiah spoke about. So he's drawing a direct link between Old Testament prophecy, which these religious leaders had really been directing people towards probably for their entire ministry life. He's drawing a straight line between Isaiah and the one that God had promised and saying that Jesus is the one that God had promised and, and, and that Jesus is the one who's, who their job had been to tell people to get ready for and hope and he was there, he was here it tells us they've been sent by the Pharisees we're going to meet the Pharisees a lot more uh, over the next few weeks but the, this is really the first intro to the main religious leaders of the day and, and really it isn't positive sending someone else to ask their questions and do their dirty work and so John has expressed all of this kind of stuff to them. He's explained to them who he isn't. He's told them what his job is, that he's there to make, way, make straight the way for the Christ, for the Messiah. And, and really what should have been dawning on the Levites and priests as they were there is that something amazing is Something amazing is about to happen. But rather than taking the hint that something eternally amazing is about to dawn right in front of them, they have more questions. Well, why are you baptizing then? That's the next question. Why are you baptizing? What's that about? If your answer was none of the above, if you're not the Christ, if you're not Elijah, if you're not the prophet, why are you baptizing? George's response is, I baptize with water, but you're asking questions about the wrong person. You're asking questions about the wrong person. Someone better is here. And it's someone who, I'm not fit to tell you, you you think this is great, you think my ministry is great. You you think you think this crowd means anything? I am not fit to tie this guy's sandals. That's what he's saying. I'm not fit to tie his shoelaces. More he is already here and you don't know and haven't seen him yet. And so so my job just now until he chooses to show himself and to reveal himself to us, my job is to to to, to, be, to begin to draw your attention to him, to start to point you to Jesus. And, and what we see is we don't, we don't have long to wait. So the, that, that episode ends and we move to verse 29. The next day, the very next day, the very next day, John the Baptist is standing and Jesus walks past. He sees Jesus coming towards him and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He, he says to the people round about him, and said, Look, look who it is. Behold. Take a look. and the encouragement here is for us all to behold Jesus the encouragement here is for you as you sit at home with your Bible open maybe listen to this kind of stuff for the first time I don't know, I don't know who you are the encouragement is for me as I stand here in front of you to actually take, take some time and to set aside some time to, to look take some time to look to t- take in the scene that Jesus, God the Son came to walk on earth as a man it's an amazing thing take some time to look at the Lord tend to behold the one who offers you to offers you to, to make you part of god 's family to offers you offers to forgive you from your sins because that's what this this, that 's what John the Baptist is going to direct us towards understanding that that's what Jesus came to do he says he's a lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world that's huge now for, uh, the, for the primary audience for john john the ba- John the Baptist listeners and the primary audience that would have opened up john john's gospel here the sacrificing a lamb was the religious ritual that people observed as part of asking God to forgive their sins. It was really the thing that gave them confidence that their sins could be forgiven. The way they went about that was they they would choose a lamb, and, and specifically a lamb without spot or blemish, so they would take the best lamb, that's really what we're talking about, the best lamb, the closest to perfect lamb, would be taken and killed in order that the person offering it could be, made right, could be made right with God, and this was a regular sacrifice. It would be a sacrifice that would be made over and over and over again, over and over and over again throughout somebody's lifetime. And, as, and people, as people observed, the 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 cycle of sin and sacrifice, sin and sacrifice, and, and in some ways very similar to us, sin and the sense of guilt and shame that comes with that, sin and the sense of burden and darkness and uncleanness that comes alongside that so so what John is doing here very clearly is announcing Jesus is the lamb that God has provided to take away the sin of the world as he is saying Jesus is the best lamb who came to bear your sins he, he is the best lamb the perfect lamb who came to, to as, as a means of you being made right with God he is the one in whom belief provides the right to become not just forgiven by God but actually as we thought last week part of God's family, part of the family of God, as we are given the right to become children of God if we receive Him, if we trust in Him. So our first eyewitness introduction in the book of John is one that introduces the sacrificial purpose for which Jesus came. In many ways it gives us a significant hint to how the gospel, what the conclusion the gospel reaches. The, the end of the story. He came to die in my place for my sin and rise in order to free me from that. He came to die in my place. And it's not just here. This lamb picture is something that is used to describe Jesus throughout the New Testament. So at the bottom of the screen there's going to be be some verses that are going to pop up to, to help you see that. Look at 1 Peter 1.18 for example. You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold. And how prone we are to trust our lives to material things, to the things we can see, taste and touch. The tangible things, the the things that we've seen other people round about us trust. And this is telling us those are futile things. The only true thing that we can have confidence and assurance in, the only truly freeing thing that is offered to us in regards to any of these things is this. The precious blood, we were not ransomed from the futile ways but rather with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a look what it says, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He is the best lamb. He is the he is the perfect lamb. That's the first thing we want to see. He is the perfect lamb. And then we go into Revelation chapter five and verse twelve, and again the, the picture of the lamb comes up time and time again in the book of Revelation as we look towards that day when Jesus returns to judge the world, as, as which is really as we'll see is going to be a theme that runs through this section he is the worthy lamb, then I looked look at look what it says, then I looked and I heard around the throne and the, the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honour and glory and bless, what an amazing picture, he is not just the perfect lamb, he is also the worthy lamb and then, and then Re- Revelation 5 paints a picture of something that all of us are going to have an opportunity to to join in with, because it describes what will, all creation will join in and say. So, in bold on the screen below you, there should be in bold on the screen in front of you at the bottom. It should be to, there should be some some, verse, some words in bold here, which we want us all to join in with uh, when we get to them. So, this is what Revelation 5 verse 13 says, "And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth. That's us." And under the earth and in the sea, and all that is in them, saying, after three, one, two, three, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. What an amazing picture. He is the perfect Lamb, He is the worthy Lamb. This is telling us He is the reigning Lamb. And then finally, He is the saving Lamb. Revelation chapter 7, verse 10. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Isn't it an amazing thing? Salvation belongs to him. And his throne assures us us of it. Salvation belongs to him. There's nowhere else you can get salvation other than in Jesus. That's what this is telling us. And it belongs to him, which means nothing can take away that salvation from Jesus. Because he owns it. He he owns it. So if you want salvation, if you want to be saved, if you want to be rescued, if you want to be free, then the, the person to look to is Jesus. That's what this is telling us. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And, and, and what we need to see here is he also has a throne and, and that's th- that authority is what John the Baptist saw in him. After he becomes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Which brings us to the second thing an witness would tell you. Simply that we need to...